You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome back to another episode of Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, how are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, just swell. Anything new? Anything new or exciting happened this past week? Perfect. All right, so thank everybody for joining. This has been, no. Uh, If you're new here, thank you very much. We are the Buffalo Happy Hour Podcast. This is episode 69, where we are going to talk about our weekly recap, maybe if Mike ever gets to his. We're going to talk about whiskey, which today we have a crazy Japanese whiskey called Kikori. The big story behind that, so make sure to stay tuned. And then also, we're going to round this section out with our fifth episode in our segment mini-series, which is... Are you mute today or something? I th- Do I still have you muted? Hi, am I here? Yeah. We're we're with John Larkin. <laughs> Jesus. All right, this is going to be a short episode. All right, so, uh, yeah, so if you're interested in any of this stuff, stick around. Make sure to subscribe and hit that like button and leave us a comment if we forget anything. So, Michael, I'm going to try this one more time. <laughs> How was your week? Week wasn't bad, man. Uh, had a small get-together for the first Bills game, and I'm waiting for our fans that watch on YouTube to call me out for wearing the same outfit uh, the last, like, nine episodes. <laughs> but this Patagonia quilted fleece is unbelievably comfortable, and it's warm, so I'm wearing it, and all the haters can leave me alone. Just know I wash it, it's clean, and everything underneath it is also fresh and clean. So so back off. Quilted yeah. jacket. Would you consider that a jacket or more of, like, a zip-up? No, it's a pullover. Okay. It's a quilted pullover. It's pullover? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. So for that, how often do you wash that? Not often. Wash that. Uh, maybe like once every six, ten months. I mean, I... Ten months? Yeah, dude, I don't... Like, well, think about it. It's the most outer layer. Yeah. It never gets wet, and I'm always wearing something Why under it. Why does it never get wet? Because I never wear it when it's garbage out. Oh, okay. I have other stuff that I wear when it's garbage out. First world problems. So what about if it starts smelling? It hasn't smelled ever. Really? Mm-hmm. I need to get myself one of those then. They're super comfortable. Because, like, I, I wear this all the time. Right. And people are probably, like, the same thing. Like, dude, Derek, you wear the same pullover every single episode. But, I mean, 
I love it, but I wash this quite a bit because I only have one layer under this. Right. So normally I, in the previous episodes, I've been wearing my Under Armour, like warm. Uh, it's called what Cold it? Gear. Cold Gear nailed it. They also have warm gear, though, don't they? Yeah, that's for summer. Obviously. It but wicks the moisture away. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, normally I wear the Cold Gear under this, but today I was like, you know what? It's a balmy 33, so I'll be fine. <laughs> It is a bombing 33. And this got up to like 55 before we started recording. Yeah, thank God. I don't know how much he had to deal with it, but... Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Bill's game. Awesome game. Eh, I wouldn't say... <laughs> I wouldn't say awesome because every single thing that we do is a fight. Mm-hmm. That's been the Bill's organization since it started. So, we fight tooth and nail for every win, and it was... A toll took a toll on the heartstrings, the stress, anxiety. I mean, if you're borderline dealing with hypertension, you shouldn't be a Bills fan because they'll probably give you a heart attack and mm-hmm. put you over the top. But yeah, it was it was a good game, obviously. Yeah. So very happy with the win. See what happens next, and week to week, that's all we can do. I just love how you and I from the beginning were like, all right. So if we were to choose two teams that we didn't want to play in the playoffs, yours would have been Colts. And mine would have been the Ravens. So naturally, it just happens to work out that way. Mm-hmm. But we're going to game plan for Lamar Jackson. He's an inaccurate passer. He has no weapons as far as wide receivers go. I'm so much more scared of the Titans with A.J. Brown and the rushing attack and Ryan Tannehill than I ever will be for Lamar Jackson, Miles Boykin, and who's their other? They have John uh, Brown. Marquise Brown. Oh, yeah, it's not John, John Brown. Brown's on our team. Yeah. No, There's but. too many Browns that are, like, the same size. I believe they were the same number. Yeah, 15? Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. That's true. But, yeah, it, there's just too many too many Browns. But, like, Baltimore's defense isn't that scary either. No. I just, I just hate because I know Lamar Jackson is going to run, and I know whoever's commenting our game – going to be Chris Collinsworth or something. He's going to be like, this is what I like about Lamar Jackson is he just runs and he just puts his body on the line for his whole team. He's a superstar. He's an MVP, blah, 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 blah. And I just don't want to deal with that. I might mute some of it. I don't know. Like, I just, I hate commentators because all they did was talk about how Lamar Jackson finally won a playoff game and he got the monkey off his back. Like, dude, Josh Allen hasn't won a playoff game either, and he yeah. did it, and it's, like, expected for him to do it then? Like, okay, fine. That's fine with me. Like, we we have a quarterback that they just trust will beat. And the Colts were an incredible seven seed. So mm-hmm. if that's where we're at, then. Not only were they an incredible seven seed, but they also were very good on all sides of the ball. Yes. Offense, defense, and special teams. They were probably the most well-rounded team outside of the Titans that we would face. Which it's interesting because if you look at – the slip-ups, right? The Bills made a lot of slip-ups, mm-hmm. but we're just that good as a team that our, um, our mar- Marge in... Margarine? Yeah, but not butter. You know what I mean? Like that, That's one of those words that I mix up. Yeah, we talked about this. So margin yeah. of error. Yeah, our margin of error is way... Oh, it's much larger than the Colts were. So they had three key mistakes... And they didn't have the team to capitalize on anything else. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's But the Bills had multiple, and we were able to still beat them. Yeah. It just goes to show how good of a team we are. Plus, dude, look at it. Look at last year against the Texans in the playoffs and us against the Colts. 
We have a deep wide receiver threat, and we have a kicker that can kick 50-plus yards accurately. Those were the two things we didn't have last year that mm-hmm. we have this year, and now we won the first playoff game. Which, if we lose the second playoff game, I'm going to be upset, but I'm okay with it. Okay. Dude, I told you in the very beginning of the season, my only goals for this year is to make it to the playoffs and win a single playoff game. Everything else is gravy. Mm-hmm. And all the division, all the records, all that, that's all gravy for me. We won one playoff game. That's actually off our back. Yeah. And now we can move forward as a team, and I'm juiced over that. Right. What but, about, yeah. uh, first of all, to just talking about the beginning of the season, I called the beginning of the season how atrocious the Steelers are, and I also said that Tyler Bass is going to be our future. Just want to point that out there. I don't remember any of that. Well, Gina can back me up on that. But anyway. I don't know who that is. <laughs> the Roethlisberger is terrible. Did you watch that Steelers game? Well, kind of. I mean, you know, I was watching the blacklist because that's definitely priority at this point Obviously. in my life. It's not like you could have watched it like later, but whatever. No, I couldn't have. There's way too many things <laughs> going on in the blacklist. But yeah, the I turned the game on and it was 28 nothing, and I'm just laughing. It was an embarrassment. It was an absolute joke. Like they did not belong there. They didn't belong in the conversation of having a decent season because they weren't. All their wins were trash. And if somebody doesn't shut up Juju Smith-Schuster... I think all of the fan base will for them, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be their issue to deal with. That guy is so dumb. He's a legitimate moron, and I don't feel bad saying that. He's just obnoxious, and he gives teams poster board material for them to get juiced up about. Exactly. They, I saw this thing go on with um, the like the what he said about the Browns and him saying, "Well, it's the Browns are the Browns," and there was this article trying to justify it by the other context in his statement that he made it doesn't matter and he after that he's like they're still a good team but his mannerisms when he was saying it he was doing it to be demeaning yep because that's all he does i mean he can sit around and say that dancing on logos is a cute tiktok video but he knows that that would spark an interest from the team the other team so him putting his team in that position to now have to justify his actions and then to come out swinging it's just he's gonna be gone He's not yeah. even that good of a receiver. He's a good number two, and Deontay Johnson is in a number one. So you have two number twos and then a number three on that team. Nobody can take the reins because everybody drops balls. No one can and catch. catch them up so other people can intercept them. It's, I'm just so happy that the Bills have a stable wide receiver core that is going to be good for so long. What do, what do you think we're going to do draft-wise this year? I'm convinced we're drafting linemen. On both sides of the ball, and that's it. That's what that's what I think we need. We for for my end, we need another cornerback, but that can be like a second round or a third round. Yeah, that's not priority. Um, we need D linemen because our pressure on quarterbacks is not very good. O linemen is pretty good. I mean, O line is we've been doing pretty well protecting Josh, but we can always use more of them. And then a cover like a cover linebacker because Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano are great stopping the run but I do not see too much out of them being cover guys. I mean, me personally, I think both Edmonds and Milano are great in regards to pass coverage. And a lot of people forget and or didn't know, but Milano played safety before converting to playing linebacker, which most times it's opposite. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't just grow into being a linebacker size wise. It's a totally there's two different things there. Yeah. Um, so I think Milano's just an absolute freak athlete, and he's the perfect size and build to do both run and pat. I mean, the things he's doing is just astounding. 
on all sides of the ball. Plus, we, we do have depth with Klein. I think one of the biggest pieces that we have to look at considerably moving forward is replacing Hughes. Mm-hmm. Because we had somewhat of an answer replacing Lorenzo Alexander, but losing him was also paramount. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see us drafting another linebacker for depth deep into the the uh, the draft, but I don't I don't we, know. I think try that every dude, year though. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's imagine if we had a guy on our offensive line like a Joe Thomas. Like, you never worry about him. You're never thinking about him. He's just always playing, and he's a consistent cornerstone for that one side of the line. Mm -hmm. And then you can focus on the rest because the organization's mindset on our defensive line is not having, like, a J.J. Watt. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not. Like, we want to have a rotational defensive line that fit, and then everybody can play their part. But we're never going to get tired because we have so many dudes rotating in and out. Yeah. But the offensive line, like we're just, we have a lot of rotation because we're beat to hell. Mm-hmm. And we don't have, we have depth, but not, we don't have like one cornerstone either. Yeah. So I think stabilizing the offensive line will be good. And it, it's insane too because it's so nitpicky. Like Josh Allen has time. Yeah. But he has more time this season than he ever has. There's ever. Been, there's been times these games where he's flat footed in the pocket because he's like, just waiting for people to get open. Yeah. But and also, I think we need a center. Yeah. We definitely need, like, a young center with no concussion issues that's super smart. Like, yeah. losing Wood sucked. Yeah. Like, that really hurt us. Mm-hmm. And Moore stepped in. I mean, he did good things, but if he sneezes wrong, he's going to be out for three weeks. <laughs> it's true. It is true. So, but I also do feel like there is a place for a J.J. Watt or an Aaron Donald. I mean, you watch the Rams game. Russell Wilson doesn't even have time to breathe before he's got Aaron Donald on his back. So yeah, but I can dude, see where getting you... somebody in there. Yeah, but you can – who? There's, draft. There's, you got to draft somebody. Some good dude, those guy are coming generational out of talents, though, well, dude. Yeah, but there's got to be a generational t- – he's not going to be the last person coming out on the D-line that's a generational talent. This, I mean, look at – This year. Look at his. Uh, what do we got coming out this year? I don't know. I don't play, pay too much attention to college football. Well, well you can't just wish for something and just. <laughs> yes, oh yeah, it'll, it'll just show so, up. So, but like if you look at their line, the Rams line, Donald went out because first he like broke a rib and he's like, "I'm good, fam. I'll be back next week." But the the other two guys in their line were amazing because of what Donald does to that line. Donald gets two uh, offensive tackles on him all the time. So having somebody that that it's that pivotal, I think that's what we wanted Ed Oliver to be, and he just never blossomed to that. He's good, but he's not an, obviously not an Aaron Donald. Coming out of college, Ed Oliver was that same caliber, right? You never know, bro. That's uh, my point. Absolutely, you never know. But investing in a line, a defensive lineman, will up our chances of getting somebody star caliber if we draft them, because we got to draft them. But you're never going to know coming out of the draft. I know. Okay, so then you want to suspend a ton of money in free agency for a dude that's proven in the NFL? Because no, 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 you I, never know what you're going to get in the draft. We oh, were supposed no, no, no. to get that with Ed Oliver, is my point. Yeah, yeah. I maybe I was saying something wrong, but I in no way say that we trade for a defensive lineman. I'm thinking that right. we just draft for one and hope that they're great coming out of college. We did with Ed Oliver. Right. We hoped. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then and what is AJ Epinesa's a Epinesa's, lineman too, right? He's a defensive end, and he actually has been playing well too. Yeah. And again, Epinesa is going to continue to grow into his frame, mm-hmm. but you never know coming out of the draft. And Ed Oliver is still making a lot of good plays. Oh, yeah. So is Jerry no, Hughes. He, he's done a great job this year. I mean, it's moving forward, it's most likely going to be what is the answer to losing Jerry Hughes? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he's going to be around for two more years. I just don't see that. Yeah. 
Um, if he proves me wrong, outstanding. I mean, I would love to keep him for whatever. The other is, uh, interesting thing that's going to shake out are contracts. And I think what we're l- running into now for the first time legitimately ever is players on the Bills are going into contract negotiations saying, these five teams offered me this. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, here's my ballpark range. I'm okay with losing money to stay on this team. Right. Like, I don't want to leave Buffalo. So for the first time to have that, it's going to help Bean so much more because now we can just focus on, all right, like, let's let's lock him up. We'll give him an extra hundred grand or whatever, just, you know, a couple incentives or whatever, but some guaranteed money. He'll be around, pay him, but we're not going to kill ourselves because now these people also understand coming into my office that the team is more important. And mm-hmm. it's, again, more credit to McDermott and, and McBean because they're just incredible people. Do you see us um, franchise tagging Allen, or do you think no, that we'll pay no. him outside of that? This, there's already articles coming out that we're going to do contract negotiations for Allen to lock him up long-term. So he's he's like our Brady, and I'm okay with that. I am terrified to drink this. Oh, brother, what was that face for? <laughs> <laughs> he goes right to the bottle. <laughs> Whiskey product of Japan. Do we have listeners in Japan? I have no idea. Oh, I got to censor myself. So there's some things that I want to say <laughs> and I'm not allowed to say it. We'll get into it. No, we won't. Not the way I want to. No, 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 we won't. We do not want to get canceled during this episode. <laughs> so we can't have 69 be our last episode. So this yeah, is a different yeah. whiskey product than other Japanese whiskeys. I'll just throw that out there before we, we dive into that section. But all right, so contract negotiations. We have a ton of stuff coming up, um, and they just need to focus on. Yeah, so there's Alan Milano yeah. Edmonds. Uh, I believe we have. Did we lock up both Poyer and Hyde, or just one? Mm, just one, I believe. I think just Poyer and Hyde Stalter. I think. Yeah, because Poyer's with uh, Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember she was tweeting about it, and everyone's reposting or retweeting her yeah. tweet. I don't have Twitter. I don't. Whatever. I just kept seeing that all over uh, Facebook and Instagram. But yeah, so we have to lock up the other safety. White, we're good. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure there's going to be some other people that come up where it's like, what are we going to do? I mean, Hughes takes a lot on cap, too. Mm-hmm. So that was back in the Changeli days with those stupid contracts. Yeah. And I believe we have to rework digs. I know well, we... What is, is I know two we, year or one year? Well, when we originally acquired him from the Vikings, uh, he sat down with the front office and then renegotiated his contract. But I know that coming up, I think it's after... It's within three years. I know that. Um, I believe it's either one or two years. We have to actually like hammer out the rest of it. Gotcha. That's going to stress me out. Because yeah. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, not pay him? No, we have to pay him. Well, right. Like, and he's a leading. He's the number one receiver in the league. Mm-hmm. So he's just going to sit there and just be like, "What's up, boys?" Yeah. Like, because he knows. Like, he's a hundred percent coming in with the position of strength. Like. Romo was I'm saying. Digs. Yeah, going <laughs> off of that, Romo was saying that Allen is going to get paid more than. Mahomes. No. I'm like, I don't think so. No. It's not happening. No. Tony Romo, if he, again, if he sneezes wrong, he breaks his back. So (laughs) there's no way. We don't even have that much money. (laughs) 
No, yeah. I, we don't. And I the Pagulas don't have that much. What are they going to do? Drill another hole in the ground? <laughs> Maybe. Stop. There's no way. That's insane. And he wasn't even... He didn't take us to the Super Bowl. Yet. Knock on wood. He didn't win MVP of a season. He didn't win Super Bowl MVP. I mean, it's... And it's his third year. It's not his second year, mm-hmm. like, ever. So, it's... There's two totally different yeah. people there. It's but a different conversation. Though, He's going to get paid, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, half a billion. Yeah. A billion, billion. a billion. <laughs> the, uh, we, we do have some good rookie wide receivers. So if we have to pay Brown or um, Diggs and let Brown and Beasley walk because we don't have enough money. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. I think that they'll lock Diggs up anyway, regardless. I think they're going to lock up Beasley, too. Yeah. And we got Gabe. Beasley doesn't have that much time left. Who did I say? Beasley. I said Beasley? Yeah. I said I think we're going to lock him up. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he has that much time left playing. Like, I don't think I he's going to be playing that much. He's, I do. He's got to work on his rap career. Can you relax? His rap songs are awesome. Oh, my God. Just so you know. All right, you want to get into this whiskey Yeah, we got to move on. All right. We could literally talk about bills all day, every day, and I wouldn't be upset. But no. I'm pretty sure everybody else would be like, all right, we get it, guys. You guys are fans. Let's move on a little bit. Well, whatever. You can have their it's own our opinions. Pod- yeah, it's our podcast. Well, why? 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 All right. So, everybody, we have Kikori Japanese Rice Whiskey. It's a product of Japan. You want me to say that again? Just go on. Just Japanese Rice Whiskey. So... The brown or the white? (laughs) Kikori Japanese Uncle Sam's Rye Whiskey. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) What is wrong? Uncle Sam's is a rice brand, dude. I wasn't going that route. No, Uncle Ben is a rice brand. Well, Uncle Sam's too. Donald Trump's (laughs) rice. All right, anyway. uh, So this is 82 proof, 41 ABV. The awards that this has won is gold medal in the 2016 San Francisco World Spirits Competition. So, give you a little bit of background on the company. So, Kumamoto region, that's where this is in. (laughs) All right, let's try this again. Uh, Kumamoto Kumamoto region is the ideal climate, pristine local groundwater, and volcanic topography. 100% locally grown rice, which has been cultivated in southern Japan for over 2,000 years. Japanese rice is widely considered to be among the finest in the world and has been chosen for its distinctive and aromatic profile. The water that they use is recharged by the surrounding mountains and rainforests, which is then filtered through the porous volcanic earth in Kyushu Kyushu Island. This is going to be really difficult. So this particular whiskey is distilled from rice and pure mountain water from Kumamoto. Aged in American oak, French limousine oak, or sherry casks for at least three years. So now, if anybody is a whiskey fan that listens to this podcast and they're in touch with whiskey, they're probably immediately thinking, rice whiskey. It's not whiskey. Because technically, rice is not one of the four grains that make up whiskey. So this is where Japanese, uh, their product gets a little bit interesting because technically this is called shochu which is a Japanese rice-based alcohol, primarily around 20 ABV. So what they did was they distilled the rice 
to get this sochu, but then distilled it for longer and like did different stuff with it to get it up to 41 uh, ABV, which qualifies for whiskey, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So the word Kikori means woodsman. So the woodsman is a folk tale in Japan. So Vizu the woodsman is the stubborn protagonist in a cautionary Japanese folk tale around life without balance. Working day and night, Vizu forsakes his family and friends. When advised to seek his spirit, he abandons his work and drifts even further from his family. Eventually, he loses everything. Vizu's tale resonates in our fast-paced and modern lives. Vizu's loss reminds us that uh, to live a fulfilling and contented life, we must find our personal balance. This is the essence of Kikori's philosophy, one that values balance in all things family, work, play, spiritually, and of course, extraordinary whiskey. Um, so now getting to the reason why this is called whiskey instead of shochu. First of all, do you know what shochu is? No. Exactly. So instead of them marking it as shochu and putting it on American shelves, no one would buy it because nobody knows what the hell shochu is. Even if they marketed sake and put it on the wall, you know, the stuff that they spray at you, uh, when you go to Fuji grill or whatever, if you, even if they put that on the shelf, people wouldn't buy it because it's just not like it's not appealing to people to drink. It's appealing to oh my god, yes, and like squirt it in your mouth from forty feet away. But people wouldn't sit down and pour it in a glass, you know. So the reason that they're able to call it whiskey is because currently the United States there's no legal definition for shochu. That paired with the fact that this meets the blurred line of what is considered whiskey, they can call this whiskey. So there's three main components to make something able to be called whiskey. One, was it made from a grain? Technically, yes, because rice is technically a grain. Two, was it aged in barrels? Yep, this was aged in um, American oak, French limousine, or sherry cask for at least three years. So it uh, checks the uh, box on that as well. And also, this is where it kind of gets a little bit blurry, but does it generally have the characteristics of what is associated with whiskey? Which it does. So that's why they're able to consider it and market it as whiskey when, in fact, it's actually shochu. So that product right there, it has a golden golden brown, I mean, I don't urine-type look to it. <laughs> I'll say it. In the bottle, at least. In the glass, it looks so much more um, kind of yellow and uh, like a clear gold. Um, but it is a, it's a younger-aged product but they're able to call it whiskey because of the fact that it meets those three parameters and it generally has the characteristics of what you would call whiskey. So uh, we kind of talked about this. So why not call it shochu? Basically because no American knows what shochu is and they wouldn't buy it. Shochu is a Japanese distilled beverage consisting of less than 45% alcohol. It's normally around 25%. It's typically distilled from rice, barley, sweet potatoes, buckwheat, or brown sugar. Also typically clear in color, primarily due to lack of aging in barrels. And the difference, because people a lot of time associate Japanese spirits with shochu or sake, and just to differentiate the two, sake is more of a fermentation process similar to beer, and normally no more than 15% ABV, where shochu is more closely related to the distilling process of whiskey. So that's it. Interesting. So Let's... What, are your, what are your initial thoughts on it? Before we get into the cocktail section, what are your initial thoughts just after that first beep? If you're going into this thinking that it's going to be American bourbon, you're not going to like it. It's very, very sweet. It's like sugary almost. It's mm -hmm. like candy. It's like uh, it's like a candy corn. 
sweetness. Yeah. And there's a little bit of tart to it. <clears throat> but it's still, it's oily. Mm-hmm. But it's very light. We'll, we'll get to it in the whiskey review. But uh, you want to get to the cocktail section? Did you, did you have one? You never told me what we were doing. We'll look on your phone. It's on their website. So I have it's, I, you know what, the dude? Summer Blossom. You, I'm honestly just going to say neat. Because, again, this is very similar for me to Pumpkin, where you want to try this on its own and then figure out what you're in the mood for cocktail-wise. And I'm, I'm sure I haven't even looked. Their website's probably loaded with cocktail options, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense then. So my recommendation for cocktail section, which, well, first, drop the beef for the cocktail section. Cocktails. Thank you. That was good. My recommendation is having this neat so that you can actually understand either what kind of cocktail you think would it would uh, go well with or what you're in the mood for. So I wouldn't cut it with water. I wouldn't add any ice cubes, nothing on the rocks. Just pour just a smidge, um, like a half ounce to an ounce into a glass and then try it. See what you think. Slowly sip it. Make that half ounce to an ounce last, like four to five sips. And then really try to get a feel for it before you dive into whatever concoction you're going to recommend. Because I'm sure it's it's probably wild. Yeah. So my cocktail is called the Summer Blossom, which is one ounce of Kikori whiskey, 0.5 ounces of Yuzuri liqueur, 0.5 ounces of lemon juice, 0.5 ounces of simple syrup, and then one ounce of rosé. You shake and you strain over ice into a wine glass and you garnish with a mint. That makes sense. Yeah. That's fascinating, too, as a cocktail. Yeah. Putting wine in with it. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically a rosé, which it's fitting, but yeah, I, uh, let's rate this thing. Yeah. Everybody, it seemed like from our, um, most recent views, people love this Japanese whiskey trend. This is, it's relatively new still, the Japanese whiskey market. Especially in our area. Yeah. And people have no idea what it is compared to, uh, regular whiskey and bourbon and everything. If... If I asked you what is Japanese whiskey, what would you say? It's it's not whiskey. Right. It's lying. <laughs> lying about being milk. Uh, the So not only does this thing exist. <laughs> I love that I use that in an interview. Uh, but anyway, we the first thing that comes to mind when you talk Japanese whiskey, everybody says they just have no rules. So right. that that really intrigues people to understand. They can't have no rules. So what is the process around Japanese whiskey? And let's look into the more in-depth intricacies of each one. So we have Kikori this episode. Next week's episode, we're going to have another Japanese whiskey that I picked up. It's Suntory Toki. And um, that one is a little bit more in line with the traditional Japanese whiskey. So kind of more like a Hatazaki or something like that. That's actually distilled from different distilleries around the world. Then we're going to go right back to like a true hearty bourbon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. To set my palate straight. Yeah. This is wild. Yeah. All, All right. right. Let's don't do it. <laughs> Let's write this thing. Let's do it. <laughs> Label branding. What do you think? So, for me, it's very bland. Yes, I would give it normally a B, but. One cool thing. So look at the bottle. Look at it straight on. You see all the Japanese letters behind it? 
Is that their apology for what they did to us in Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. I'm muting Mike for the rest of the time. <laughs> no, the what is behind there, what you can see through the bottle, is that entire woodsman story in Japanese, which that is sick. <sighs> that is incredibly awesome. Yeah, So I'm going to bring that up to a B plus. All right. B plus. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. You know, I don't know why I said BP, like the BP oil spill or something. Um, but that is sick how that has the entire story. If I could translate Japanese, I would have read it from there. But my Japanese is like a 9 out of 10 out of 10 out of 10 right now. So, you Kumamoto. mean You mean a negative 9 yes, out of 10? Yes, 100%. So, there's... And it's like, it has that, like, it as gross as it sounds, it does have like a dehydrated urine color. Yeah. But... When you pour it, it's actually kind of like a, a kind of almost like a wine, like a white wine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. the The thing about Japanese culture is that Americans, a lot of Americans, not all, but a lot, really don't know anything. Yeah, and their culture is in a. I mean, r- r- really, in a sense, it is beautiful. Like there is a lot of benefits that we could. We could pick and choose, and then we could learn a lot from them. 100%. Um, and it just sucks that we really just were never taught basically anything outside of World War II. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot to this, dude. Like, yeah, I got a B plus, but they have uh, like a gentleman on top of their cork. Mm-hmm. It is an actual cork, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of our big things. But the label itself is just it's just bland. I don't know if that's mass production, but they it's approved by someone's signature and a stamp. It's batch four, I believe. That maybe no, I don't I don't know if it's handwritten. Yeah. So but just so everybody knows. It's too. honest I mean, it does tell you what you want yeah. to know, but it's it's just kind of I don't know, like they could have done more. I think that they tried to go for the Japanese classy look, but it ended up looking if if that didn't have the Japanese writing on the back of it, it would have been real bad. But I think yeah. that that adds a texture to it because you're looking through it and it's being magnified to you. And just to know that there's actually a reasoning behind it. Yeah. Um, I think that that's sweet. So we also did get this bottle from Addie's Wine and Liquor. If you want this bottle, it was new. Uh, it still had the new tag on their shelf. So if you do want to try this, go to Addie's. I believe it's $44. Um, so it's not going to break the bank and it's interesting to try out. So definitely go hit up Addie's wine and liquor. They are your one-stop shop for all of your whiskey needs. And that's where we go for all of our stuff. So go check them out. Um, okay. So nose, what do you get on the nose? It's light. You barely get, and I think it's because it's 82 proof. You barely get any ethanol. Yeah. You get a little bit of oak on the back end and kind of like a, <clears throat> like a light cream. It, it smells. Heavy. Yeah. Yeah. To me, and and like it's, you can smell like the sugars coming out of it. Mm-hmm. So to me, this might sound weird, but this smells and the initial taste is very very close to a chilled white wine, like a like a Chardonnay or some sort of peach wine or maybe like a like a light grape wine. I, I just think it's it's very similar to a white, but it's not. Uh, a chilled white wine is going to be extremely tardy, 
where the finish is just going to stop. You're going to have the blast. It's very similar to a very fancy champagne. Mm-hmm. You get the uh, the initial carbonation, and then your palate's essentially completely cleansed. And then the the ending note, you'll pick up like hints of apple and things like that with a, a bottle of champagne that's a really high-end bottle of champagne. Whereas with this, and to your point, kind of like a white wine, is it's, it's a tardy, but the oils coat your mouth, and then it... It doesn't necessarily completely stop like the champagne does, but it doesn't linger as long. Yeah. Um, and I think the only reason it does linger, and it's a very high hug, is because of the fact that it is whiskey. Mm-hmm. But that's it's so unique. This is kind of similar to the maple with Hollerhorn yeah. um, and their spirits. Mm-hmm. So for nose, what are you going to give it? Maybe a, a B plus. I'm just gonna go B. Okay. It is kind of flat to me. Yeah. But it's not. It's not bad by any means. Yeah, it's not terrible. I. You kind of get. I mean, we didn't. I'm sorry. That was the nose. Did I say that that was the nose? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nose. So you're kind of getting a little bit of like a charred oak on the nose, but it's very, 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 little. very faint. Yeah. So initial taste. Initial taste. I'm getting a little bit of. Um. I'm getting the sugars, of course. And it's like a. A candy corn sugar. And then I do get a little bit of leather, but not as much as you would with like a Buffalo Trace. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the oil. I mean, that's like, and it's not, it's not like a, oh, I taste oil. Yeah. It's just you experience the oil in the initial it's taste. very, for how light this is, it's very thick, it's but then odd. dissipates really quickly. Mm-hmm. It, it goes down. I don't want to use the term smooth because smooth mean we generally associate it with like enjoyable and it just goes down in one flash but this is smooth where there's no peaks and valleys to it it's really like one consistent taste going from your nose and then when you take a sip from the initial taste to the ending note and it's just one like smooth transition but the initial it's very i think this is the first time ever the initial taste is distinctively different from the ending note the initial taste stops at the back of your mouth that you'll feel the liquid leave and go down your gullet, but everything stays in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden your chest starts to get warm and that's it. And you're like, what, what is it? Like, why, what is happening? And it's very, very hard to describe, but it's worth experiencing because all of the burn and all of the tasting note is in your mouth and then your whole mouth gets coated with oil, which is why we pause so often because we have to swallow everything. It's right when your taste buds start. Yeah, that's where the flavor it, you like get a burn, like an alcohol burn, and that's all the flavor staying in your mouth. Then it's just going down. But it's so faint; it's yeah, not like, right. dude, this is so hot. Like I can't. I don't know how you guys drink this, and you still carry a conversation. It's nothing like that. It's such a faint, light burn, but all of a sudden your your chest is warm, and your mouth is kind of like, what the hell was that? It's kind of dry too, isn't it? Yeah, at the like end, it's sweet, at but the at the end, end it's the, very dry. Yeah, the ending note dries you out. This is very similar to like a white wine. It is, but without like the punchiness. Like if you had maybe like an oaked wine, like where you had a wine finish in an oak barrel, I would yeah. be very interested to do a side by side comparison of those to see if they're similar. One right after the other is probably going to be a distinct difference, yeah. but that's, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Interesting. This, this isn't bad. I, I'm gonna go a B on the initial taste, um, and the ending note. And the ending note, you're really not gonna get 
too many different distinct. It's not like you're picking up baking spices on the end. You're not picking up vanilla caramel, anything like that. It's just a f- everything stays up front in the initial taste, all the tasting notes. And then all of a sudden you're you're complete with your your, your sip, really. You get you get a wine after wine aftertaste. So th- that's where we're going with the the dryness of the the like the sweet but dry wine. Yeah, it's kind of like a <clears throat> if you were to drink a very sweet wine at first, take that half and then drink take a sip of a very dry wine and take the back half of that. That's how this is going down. Kind of like a like a I don't know like a green grape type aftertaste. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right. So ending note. Uh, we said B on this one. All right, so any note, you ready? Final rating, you mean? Yep, that's what I meant. <laughs> Final rating, you ready? All right, give me that countdown. Three, two, one. 82. 83, I like it. So that is our whiskey rating for Kikori Japanese rice whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It has no flavor profiles of what you would really find in a typical whiskey at all. No. This maybe mirrors a little bit closer to like Irish or Scottish whiskey, but it's it's different. Yeah, more, more Scottish. It's different. More Scottish. Um, so if you're interested, again, go check it out. If you're local, go check it out at Addie's Wine and Liquor. They have a bunch of them in stock. And uh, yeah, it's it's something you should try. So let me ask you, Hadazaki or Kikori? This. Really? Kikori over Hadazaki. Hadazaki was way too peaty. But again, I had Hadazaki early on yeah. into the podcast where now I'm starting to branch out and I can enjoy scotch mm-hmm. on a far different level. Yeah, I mean, we just we both just took a sip. But. Yeah. Go Bills. All right. Well, do you want to get into the uh, segment miniseries? Yeah, we got we got some stuff to talk about. We sure do. All right, Michael. So today we have episode five. We're going to be talking about none other than John Larkin. Yes. So for those of you that are new, uh, I turn and we have a TV on the wall. So that's what I'm looking at. So. Here we go. John Durant Larkin. He was born September 29th, 1845. Deceased February 15th, 1926. He was Pretty an American. Nice yeah. Uh, he was a American business magnate who pioneered the mail order business model developed with business partners and his brother-in-law, Albert Hubert, which we'll get into. The marketing strategy of offering premiums to customers introduced revolutionary employment innovations and commissioned Frank Lloyd Wright's for the first major public work, which was the Larkin administration building. Um, so all that's going to be detailed in this segment. It's pretty fascinating. So getting right into it, Larkin was born in Buffalo to parents who emigrated from England to the United States in 1832. He went to public schools in Buffalo during his childhood, and he began working at the age of 12 at the Western Union as a telegraph messenger. In 1862, he began working in a soap manufacturer, uh, of Justice Weller. It was his sister's husband. 
So for the next eight years, he worked for Weller in Buffalo, learning the business. From courses at Bryden Stratton, he took in 1865. He then learned how to become a bookkeeper. Um, and then when Weller moved to Chicago in 1870, Larkin followed him. He was admitted to the partnership of J. Weller & Co. the next year. While in Chicago, though, he introduced Larkin, or I'm sorry, Weller introduced Larkin to Francis Hubert, who then Larkin married in 1874 at her parents' home in Hudson, Illinois. Wow. A little matchmaking so, going on there in Weller. Yeah, hooking him up. In 1875, Larkin sold out his interest in J. Weller & Co. to Mr. Weller, and he and his wife moved back to Buffalo. Larkin then set up his factory, J.D. Larkin Manufacturer, of plain and fancy soaps. His only product was a yellow laundry bar named Sweet Home Soap, but the business grew, and by 1878, the company produced nine different soap products, ranging from uh, boroxine. Boroxine. Nailed it. Borox, boroxine <laughs> soap powder uh, through a variety of laundry soaps to jet harness soap, oatmeal toilet soap, and glycerin. Larkin's first salesman was his wife's brother, Albert Hubert, who had also been working as a salesman for J. Weller & Co. in Chicago. Hubert decided to follow his sister and Larkin to Buffalo and work as a salesman. In 1878, Dwight D. Martin... Darwin? No. Dwight D. Martin was hired as a salesman in Boston. By 1880, as sales to general stores and other merchants who would buy products in large quantities increased... He was then hired in Buffalo and became the first, and that time the only, hired office worker of the Larkin Company, as all office work was done by Larkin himself. Hmm. So he essentially incrementally grew his business, but he made sure that he was still at the head of basically everything. So he did all the work. Um, But while at the Larkin Company, uh, Hubert pioneered the idea of mail-order merchandising. This changed the game. So by offering premiums and bonuses in return for sales, the company was able to dispense with a sales force. By 1902, Larkin needed a building to consolidate offices scattered throughout all of his factories. Martin had risen to treasurer and corporate secretary, and William Heath, who was Larkin's brother-in-law and the head of the legal department, suggested Frank Lloyd Wright. So Larkin consented, and Frank Lloyd Wright received his first commercial commission, which was a huge deal because this basically birthed the Larkin Administration Building, which was completed in 1904 and accommodated 1,800 corresponding secretaries, clerks, and executives. I mean, they just blew up with that. So in 1914, the Larkin Company grew so rapidly that the floor space of its offices covered 64 acres. By 1925, the Larkin Company manufactured most of the 900 catalog items in factories covering 16 and a half acres on Seneca Street in Buffalo. In addition to their own soaps, cleansers, cosmetics, perfumes, pharmaceuticals, and food, Larkin offered everything from furniture and clothing to utensils and radios. I mean, it was essentially a monopoly. Yeah. In 1901, Larkin founded Buffalo Pottery to supply the Larkin Company with premiums of China dinnerware for its customers. It was completed in 1903, and it was the company's plant that was the largest fireproof pottery in the world. And it was also the only pottery in the world completed... Uh, and operated by electricity. In addition to the China produced, in ad, yeah. So in addition to uh, the China produced for distribution as premiums, Buffalo Pottery manufactured many lines of China sold via both retail and wholesale channels and exported its ware to more than twenty-five countries. The pottery ultimately turned to the production of commercial China ware. 
changing its name to Buffalo China Inc. in 1956. My family used to work for Buffalo China. Hmm. The company was one of the largest manufacturers of commercial Chinaware in the United States. Buffalo China was sold to Oneida Limited in 1983 and went out of operation in 2004. So side note, my family, uh, when they came from Belfast, Ireland, they came into the U.S. from Canada, and then they all got jobs at Buffalo China. And then we became who we are now. Um, So Larkin died in 1926, and he was one of Buffalo's most respected citizens and is buried at the Forest Lawn Cemetery, which is uh, right by Elmwood with Olmstead and mm-hmm. all those other OGs. <laughs> he was a, a benefactor of the University of Buffalo, where by 1926 he donated $250,000, which is equivalent to $3.6 million in 2019. While, uh, while the Larkin administration building was demolished in 1915, or I'm sorry, 1950, a large portion of the original Larkin manufacturing complex survives today, including the Larkin Terminal Warehouse, which has been converted to corporate offices and houses in the headquarters of First Niagara Bank, which is now home of Key Bank's Buffalo Division. Hmm. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's very fascinating. So I used to work in the Larkin district, <clears throat> and I worked in the building opposite of first Niagara and key bank. So the, if you're driving, if you're from the Buffalo area, you can see the building. Uh, it's white, uh, right next to the first Niagara building. And the building used to, like you said earlier was for soap manufacturing. Yeah. So if you go outside of the furnished and completely renovated areas of the building, you can see aspects of the soap still being like, they didn't demolish the entire building. So there's still aspects of the soap production that is there. So actually, I, I'm pretty sure Gina did a ghost tour at the Larkin, the, the building that I used to work at. It's haunted? And it's haunted, yeah. Because in, I, I could be butchering this, but the um, people would die when they were making soap. And it was like this big vat that it would crush the soap in. People would die because they would fall into the well. Yeah. And it was so deep that they were just never brought out. So the the entire haunting of that area is based off of the the Larkin Soap Company. Because workers would fall into the production line? Yeah. Woof. And it, it's pretty cool because, uh, again, when I used to work there, it, it would be pretty common, especially during wintertime, to get up every 10 minutes and walk around like you're supposed to or every 30 minutes to walk around to get the fluid back in your joints and everything. But there was only so much that you can walk around. You're not going to go outside. So it was a it, – seriously, it was like half the building was un, not developed. And you can walk down the ramps that the trucks used to come up to deliver the soap um, up into the top levels of the building. It's fascinating. There's parts that right now there's like gaps in the floors and it was very, very sketchy to walk. But we did it anyway because it was just so cool. It was really sweet. Yeah, it, This is a huge part of the Larkin area. Um, if you're again, if you're from Buffalo, you know exactly what this is. I mean, it's the new thing in South Buffalo. Yeah, it's booming now. Yeah, I mean they they're getting a lot of different projects. A lot of companies are moving into that area, and it's literally exploding yeah. with business and and rebirth. So also too, when you're driving down the street, if you're coming from the city of Buffalo and you're driving down Seneca Street, on the right is the Larkin Building where M&T Bank is, and on the left there's two parking lots. There is a structure in the middle of the two parking lots, and that was built to resonate or to emulate Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture because he had such a prominent, obviously a very prominent 
pole in the uh, Larkin area. And also the building following that parking lot. They did a ton of renovations on that, but I'm pretty sure that that is not the original, but one of the oldest buildings in the Larkin area that they're now refinishing. And I don't know what they're going to use it for, but it's a, it's like a historic landmark at this point. Right. It's really sweet. It's wild. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, my friend. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. We flew through this section. It's only 50 minutes, bro. Well, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so yeah, so that wraps up our uh, our segment miniseries for this episode alone. Next week we have, uh, who do we have? Uh, scroll up, because there's a lot of stuff going on. Did we, we didn't even include Frank Lloyd Wright on this, which we probably should. We can, yeah. I mean, it's not like he was a big deal or anything. <laughs> So next week we have John R. Oshai, who we'll touch on. I'm sure most of people out of state have heard about Oshai Children's Hospital, so he may or may not have had something to do with that. So we'll dive into all things him. And after that, we have Rob E. Rich Sr., but episode eight, I'm very excited for, because I don't think you have literally any idea who that is. So episode eight is William Wild Bill Joe Donovan, and... He was paramount in things on a federal level. Hmm. So we'll, we'll discuss that in great detail. Um, so make sure you tune in next week. Uh, this has been episode 69 of the Buffalo Happy Hour, which is insane to think about because outside of this, we do interviews, which mm-hmm. we're now over. We're approaching 50 special interviews of different businesses all around Buffalo. Yeah. It's insane. We have eight videos right now uh, to date, real time. Uh, by the time this airs, we're going to be down to like seven or six that are ready to go live that are in the queue on backlog that are already recorded. So there's content releasing into February and March, yeah. which is ridiculous. So we're just going to keep at it. we got a lot of things in the work, too. we got a bunch of different small businesses that are even now reaching out to us, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So be on the lookout for those. And then if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. It just helps us look a little more uh, legitimate as well but it also allows you to know when we post things doesn't cost you anything it's totally free just have a gmail email on youtube hit that subscribe button we appreciate it and then of course we're on facebook and instagram on instagram we're buffalo happy hour 12 and then on facebook we're the buffalo happy hour please follow us we post literally five to six days a week and we appreciate all the support and all the likes on all the photos be on the lookout for the next batch of merchandise if you are interested in buying a sweater we still have some for sale in uh, a variety of sizes, specifically small, medium, and large. So please let us know. And uh, this is it, man. We will be back next week, and we'll dive into another Japanese whiskey. Oh, yeah. All right. Also, with this interview, released Alchemy. Yes. Alchemy special interview with this episode. So go back and watch that interview. Uh, Alchemy Wine Bar is located in Hamburg, New York. Again, right by that circle, deep into the village. And they have... Probably the coolest feel to a wine bar in our area. Um, so, yeah. so definitely check them out. And then also, um, you can see all of our Google reviews. If you have any questions about what you're running into um, business-wise. So before the interview goes live, we always go back and plug a quick Google review just so that you kind of get an idea of what you're going to walk into for an overall experience. So if you're interested in any of that, feel free to find our Google reviews uh, with a quick search. So Which we also do link the interview to that once it goes live, too. So if you're watching this and you wanted to go back and figure out what Mambrino King was all about, 
you can go look at the Google review and it'll have a link to the interview also. So, um, yeah, it's just a one-stop shop. That's, that's what we're all about, man. That's it. Trying to make it convenient shop. for all of you. Absolutely. So, that's it, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening again. This has been Buffalo happy hour. Uh, this is episode 69 and we are out. So please remember to always drink responsibly, be a good person. And Michael, do not let her. We're out. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.